Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes. Um, I apologize already in advance because I have a bit of a cold. So if I sound funny, that's the reason why. And uh, I would like to uh, welcome our listeners and a special welcome to our new listeners. And a very warm welcome to our guest today, Holly Honig. Hi, Holly. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you very much for coming on, on the show. Um, Holly is Senior Manager of Human Dynamics and work at Herman Miller. Now, Herman Miller is, is quite a special company um, because globally only six companies have ever made those three very prestigious lists, um, two by Fortune, one for the most admired companies and the other list of the 100 best companies to work for and Fast Company's 50 Most Innovative Companies. So Herman Miller, among five others, have made these three lists. And we are here today with Holly to discuss what makes Herman Miller so special, both working for Herman Miller and also the work Herman Miller is doing for its customers. So we got to know Herman Miller last year when we did a bit of a cooperation together around what they call the living office and the fundamental human needs. Now, before we go to that, I would like to ask you, Holly, if you could take us a little bit through your journey and your career, how you became um, Senior Manager of Human Dynamics and work at Herman Miller. Yeah, absolutely. So a little about my background. Um, my career grew up in human resources. I worked for about 10 years with ADECO, which is a huge global provider of HR solutions in various roles, from the more typical HR type activities like recruiting, performance management, um, training development, to other areas like regional operations management and account director. I began working with Herman Miller after I left ADECO about 13 years ago in a role similar to an HR generalist. And after a couple of years of doing that, I applied my varied background to a consultant role, providing workplace strategy services to clients around the globe. And I had the honor to do that awesome work for about another 10 years. Um, and like you mentioned, I'm now leading our practice area of human dynamics and work. And, um, and I'm also a trained ontological life coach. Great. I think that anybody who has come across Herman Miller 
knows that this is a company that does things differently um, and especially very innovatively. And in 1996, it has taken on the production system from the Toyota model. And, you know, we at the Work-Life Hub are a bit of organizational transformation geeks. And we really admired, of course, and in any kind of transformational um, literature, the Toyota production system is, is, is very highly regarded. So this is just an example about, about how innovative it is. But also it does things differently for workers in the knowledge economy. So it has devised this concept, I believe, in um, 2013, the living office, um, that introduced this human-centered framework to approach office design. So, um, Holly, could you take us through a little bit what is the living office and, and how perhaps this piece of work got developed at Herman Miller? Absolutely. So um, the term living office is um, we talk about a holistic approach that helps people achieve a total experience of work um, that's more natural, more human, more desirable, and ultimately more rewarding in terms of both outcomes for the individual as well as business outcomes for the organization. So it is essentially it's a philosophy integrated into everything that we do. Uh, it's a philosophy and approach and the solutions. And by solutions, I think of furnishings. I think of the services that we offer our clients that help our clients to envision, define, create, and curate that. Um, and by that, I mean an intentionally designed total experience of work. So when we talk about living office, the approach that we use includes both how we understand the organization and then how we do it, right? Like, so how we would implement a client's unique living office. So when we look at how we understand an organization, we look at both what's fundamental to them and what's unique to them. So when we look at the fundamental to all bucket, we talk about the human experience. We talk about ergonomics. We talk about fundamental human needs. When we look at the unique component of an organization, we look at business purpose. What are What is the higher level purpose of the organization? What's the bigger what for? We look at business drivers. What are the unique organizational outcomes that you're looking to achieve? We look at uh, character of the organization and work activities. So what are the primary work activities and what priority order? And then the how we do it component it's through placemaking, of course. We wouldn't be Herman Miller if we didn't hone in and make those connections and explore implications for place. And we also look at management methods, uh, tools, and technology. Great. Thanks so much. And especially more and more um, management talk is looking at the millennials and the new uh, workforce, the, the much more assertive workforce that wants um what, we, what you also mentioned just now, this experience of work and, and quite a few studies refer to millennials wanting um, a work experience that's almost similar to a consumption experience. They want to feel good. It should be, as you said, a, a total experience for them. And so you have, um, uh, you have structured it around these fundamental needs, these six fundamental needs. I have them written down. You probably don't need them written down. <laughs> so it's security, mm -hmm. autonomy, belonging, achievement, status, and purpose. Um, could we just maybe drill down a little bit into autonomy? Because uh, that's where uh, persons, workers seek 
freedom, autonomy and, and flexibility in their work. And, and that's also something that's quite close to our hearts. So could you just expand a little bit on, on how you approach this? Yeah, I absolutely will. And I wonder, too, it might make a little bit of sense to um, give a little background on where these fundamental absolutely. human needs came from. Um, so one of the pieces of, of my role um, is seeking to kind of deeply understand these six fundamental human needs that, that were born from our research team. So our uh, insight and exploration group at Herman Miller, which the world kind of knows as our research group, um, they took a look at look, trying to identify user preferences is where it, where it began and um, trying to understand at a just a real human level what makes us make the decisions that we do and prefer the different kinds of work environments in, in contexts in a work setting that we do. Through that work, we actually concluded the answer is as diverse as people mm. are, right? So there's not there, there weren't any kind of key buckets. But we also discovered through that work and the conversations that we were having around that work that, you know, at some point, humans used to work um, because they had to, right? They were they were serving somebody. And and our motivations for working changed. We absolutely all have to work. We need income to pay our bills. But the reason that we choose what we do, where we do it, and why we do it, um, those shifted at some point. And so we took a real deep look and did a, a literature review that spanned deeply 80 years and even beyond that, like looking even at, at things that were documented in BC times uh, around work. And uh, looked at, uh, you know, social science and what's the world saying and what are philosophers saying and and what do, what do people want in terms of what they're striving to have fulfilled at work. And that's where these six fundamental needs came from. And so to gain a deeper understanding around what those needs are, um, we have been and we're continuing to look through, through third-party research, and I'm going to as many places as I, as I can to facilitate meaningful conversations with people like you, um, people around the world at different stages in life and at different places in life, kind of beyond the typical corporate working adult. It's our philosophy that looking in unusual places is where we might find the most thought-provoking or challenging ideas to wrestle with. So, Absolutely. yeah, right? And, and so that will help us not only find new answers, but maybe even change the questions. So so all of that to say, we're, we're starting to get some interesting insights around these fundamental human needs. So I'll, I'll start with autonomy um, to answer your question. Go back there. So autonomy is... Um, is we're seeking freedom in our actions and decisions. It's experienced as freedom, as being trusted to take responsibility and make self-determined choices. Um, we have, if, if autonomy is being served, we have latitude in terms of uh, what we're doing, how we're doing it, when we're doing it, where and with whom that work is getting done. So there's ways that um, the organization can respond to that through, you know, leadership practices, through places. Um, autonomy is deeply correlated with job satisfaction, commitment, retention, and productivity. Mm -hmm. And we also know that when autonomy is being served, that there's greater passion in creativity. 
And we know that that all cultures value autonomy, but they may define them differently. You know, what autonomy actually looks like may end up being a little bit different. And I know that you've experienced the same. Absolutely. And and we, we also fundamentally believe that when employees can have great control over where and when and how they work, they really appropriate um, the work they're doing and, and, and they give a uh, hundred times more than, than if they wouldn't have that. And, and especially, you know, schedule control, all of this um, has now been uh, more than proven by a number of research studies that show that this kind of flexibility and autonomy shows up on the bottom line of, of the organization. Absolutely. And that's one of the themes that we've noticed. I mean, when we think about all of the fundamental human needs, um, you mentioned discretionary time, you know, employees are absolutely going to select for the employers that provide autonomy, that provide, you know, a sense of achievement and purpose and belonging and all that good stuff. So um, when we think about, you know, what's what's good for business is absolutely the same thing as what's uh, good for humans as well. And, and it's so funny to, to look at it that um, for so many years, uh, management studies and, and management um, beliefs were so uh, counterintuitive that, that it seemed to be this um, FaceTime and watching people and, and you have to be there, right? So, so we now understand that a lot of the things that were happening in organizations for the last couple of years actually weren't serving so much the purpose. But of course, now we have all the tools and the technologies to, to fully enable this kind of autonomy and flexibility. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. Looking at looking at the other fundamental human needs, because I really enjoy this conversation. I think this is so fascinating, and I'm sure listeners can take a, away a lot of, of this conceptual um, look a look at work. Uh, what would be your next favorite? Would you like to pick one? Oh yeah, um, well, belonging is my absolute my absolute favorite. Um, they're all important, <laughs> <laughs> um, but belonging is. You know, it's the concept that we all, I mean, we desperately want to be connected to each other, right? Like we want meaningful connection to other people. Um, when we look at serving belonging, it's experienced as inclusion, affiliation, acceptance, it's social validation and social well-being. Um, when we look at an organizational lens, you know, it's that it's just that awesome feeling that we have when we're all in this together. We're having a common experience, common struggles, even um, common goals. We know that uh, when we have a sense of belonging, uh, it's correlated with reduced stress, uh, better health, um, engagement goes up, retention goes up, um, productivity, performance. I mean, all good things happen when we facilitate a sense of belonging. And that's also, um, belonging tends to be one of those uh, fundamental human needs that um, the tangible ways that we can impact it mm -hmm. through leadership practices in place um, are fairly intuitive and um, can be looked at as um, maybe less complex as some of the others as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, you can look at from a leadership perspective, um, honoring diversity, building a strong team, um, providing access to yourself, um, 
being in the moment uh, with your with your staff and, and helping to connect your team members to each other, to other resources. There's a very long list, right, of, of ways that are pretty practical and pretty just simple good business practice that can facilitate a sense of belonging. And same thing with place. So when we look at design principles and considerations around the physical environment, we can look at uh, designing spaces to work as we choose. So connected to autonomy, but the way that that facilitates belonging is that, you know, we're not anchored. So we can make those connections with other people. Um, Visual sight lines, just having visual connectivity Mm -hmm. to each other facilitates a sense of belonging. Um, And just creating a space that drives those impromptu collisions Mm -hmm. can is a wonderful thing. We've done lots and lots of ethnography over the last, you know, 15 years. And and our clients who purposefully design those serendipitous opportunities to connect with each other, um, we overhear, you know, all kinds of really wonderful conversations happening. So it may start with something social, but it usually ends up with some kind of a, oh, hey, while well, I have you, and comes into a quick, you know, problem-solving discussion. So it facilitates the relationship as well as the business commitment. And again, it's that balance between the individual and the organizational outcomes both at the same time absolutely and um just yesterday um i uh, having some meetings made me think you know about the um one of the challenges um for work workplaces and organizations is also the five generations at the same time at the workplace and how do we ensure that there is a connection there is um relationship there's respect between these generations who come from very, very different uh, points of departure in terms of how they would like to work or how they have been used to work. And the other aspect is also um, nowadays in companies, everybody's in sales, for example, everybody's in marketing, because as soon as you have a smartphone, you become your company's brand advocate. It doesn't matter if you work in HR or accounting or in the product development, everybody's in sales from one one way or the other and and just allowing this um cross uh cross uh, exchanges as you said these impromptu collisions from the different departments is going to be so important for companies if they want to really keep up with with competition and keep up with with consumer demand and customer demand absolutely yeah, well, and I love what you said about the um, the brand ambassadorship. So, you know, one of the one of the things that we're recognizing um, at kind of a macro level is, you know, there's a a vanishing boundary, you know, concept. So, when we think about um, work-life balance kind of not being the right way to think about things. You know, it's really around work-life support that that balance implies that there's a stop and a start to mm-hmm. both of those lives. Yeah. And so, right. And, and so when we're kind of, uh, when those boundaries are, I guess at, at best permeable and maybe just completely vanished entirely, the, you know, we start to be able to, um, bring your whole self into the the work context and and then just naturally that work context seeps into the other parts of of the organi- of of your life experience. Yes, absolutely. The we love this concept of of bring your whole self to work and and there are just very different um styles also for people to to have a meaningful work experience and then have a satisfactory private or family life. And and this this um, right. 
this this the way we see it is is what you just said is this especially autonomy is so important because this is this um lever is going to be very different for everybody these are highly individual needs so some people may you know in that particular year want to invest much more into their career and someone would need to maybe uh, roll back a little bit and be much more present at home or for their <clears throat> sports or other pursuits so so this is i think a, a great leadership challenge how to enable a lot of this um, setting boundaries for for the individual employees and and not try to regulate okay now we all come to the office now we all <laughs> you know this this would be very um simple and and an easy right. kind of schematic uh, schematic way of of doing this but I guess this is a great leadership challenge, how to navigate all these individual requests and styles of, of flexing. It is. And, and, you know, it's kind of both super complex and maybe even just super simple at the same time. I mean, complex in that if you try to design to um, every person's uniquenesses, um, that can be very overwhelming and very difficult. And that's where we start to look at, all right, well, what makes us the same? So like fundamentally, we need, you know, belonging, purpose, achievement, autonomy, status and security security met. So if you kind of use that fundamental context to what people strive to have fulfilled at work or in a flex policy or in any organizational practice, that's where you can start to simplify it a little bit while also meeting um, kind of the diversity of the population. Absolutely. Now, maybe um, I wanted to also ask you if, if we can just go a little bit to um, just to gaining a glimpse or an insight from Herman Miller itself, how it is to work there. Um, Herman Miller received the World at Work, Work-Life Seal of Distinction Award for 2016. Um, can you just explain a little bit um, what the award specifically recognized and, and what are some of these perks, benefits and, and, and working conditions at Herman Miller that makes it such an incredible company to work for? Yeah, absolutely. I would be really happy to address that. So, um, and I can, not being a part of the, the committee that um, submitted the application for the recognition and the award, um, I can't speak to what the implications are. What I do know about the award is um, through the application process, part of what Herman Miller submitted was looking at all of the different um, perks and benefits and organizational practices that we have in place as they relate to each of the six fundamental human needs. So I've partnered with um, many of the folks in our human resources part of the organization, and we've done uh, some deep dives into looking at the six fundamental human needs and cross-referencing that with how are we serving that today and what are the programs that we have in place. Um, we have, you know, flexible work arrangements. We have um, you know, a, a adoption assistance. We have, you know, all kinds of these really interesting programs that um, we we hope are each solving a unique fundamental human need for our employees. So that's one way that I know that we've um, looked at serving our population and that that's contributed to the recognition and the awards that Herman Miller's received. As, a, as an employee, in terms of the employee experience, you know, just thinking about what attracted me to come to Herman Miller 13 years ago? 
was, uh, so Harvey Miller was actually my client before I started working here as an employee. And uh, so I kind of got to know the organization from the outside in. Um, before I started working here. And Herman Miller has a, a unique and um, kind of genuine and authentic approach mm-hmm. to looking at human-centered uh, ness, like, you know, in general, human-centered leadership, human-centered problem-solving, human-centered design. And and that's been part of our heritage and tradition and, and hopefully will will be our legacy as well. And that really appeals to me just, uh, you know, as a human being, um, as an employee. And uh, and it's a struggle. It's it's not always easy to do. But um, it's something that is um, tangible and, and evident in many of the things that we do, both internal facing and outward facing. Yes, I think um, from our experience um, with Herman Miller, this is really um, a philosophy and a belief that really transpires um, the company in working both with its employees and also outwards with its partners. And, and that's what we are also trying to advocate mm-hmm. for um, other companies to, you know, make this investment where you explore your own beliefs, you, you write down your culture, you anchor your culture, because it, it will attract talent, it will retain talent and it in and this kind of investment is um is going to pay back um you know huge dividends afterwards and 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 i think that um in some countries you know we're very very far away from even having this conversation but i guess uh, larger parts of the world are also waking up up to this idea and and i thank you very much for illustrating this because i think this is very valuable you know to see this also from someone from the inside. Oh, for sure. I know, you know, in the work that you do, I know you're deeply familiar with, you know, triple bottom line thinking, looking at reporting, evaluating an organization's performance based on social, environmental, as well as the financial and economic factors. So I, in the, in this spirit of this conversation, it would be, I, I'd love so much for, um, and, and even Herman Miller has an opportunity to expand, um, to look at, and ideally commit at expanding that notion of social performance and kind of going going beyond the fair and responsible treatment of clients, employees, and communities. Because we have the, you know, you and I have an interesting access to talking to people in other organizations, right? So, so higher level folks within the organizations that we connect with have unique access and power to kind of shift thinking and set direction for others. And I, I just love so much to see those folks embrace and broaden that concept of social performance and look at policy and practice beyond today's boundaries and definitions. Um, what I mean by that is kind of where you were going, Agnes, there's nothing wrong or erroneous about thinking of your people first, right? So starting mm-hmm. with humans, business outcomes follow that. And we know that, right? The best places to make investments for shareholders are often companies that are on the list of the 100 best places to work. Happier employees, better bottom line outcomes. Um, you know, this isn't new news, but like you just said, you know, many of the world's organizations Organizations continue to struggle with creating human-centered policies, human-centered practices, human-centered leadership in places and all that good stuff. And I think in the context of those vanishing boundaries are those of the organization 
as well as the individuals. So, you know, CEOs and higher level folks within organizations have a tremendous impact on the communities that surround and make up their organizations. And I'd love, and I, and I don't think they empower themselves to use that influence necessarily. And in individual boundaries, I'd love to see us look at, you know, that whole person. So not just their role as marketing director or accountant, but as the whole person that they are, you know, as poets, mothers, fathers, you know, maybe even beer aficionados, like let's expand that notion of diversity and inclusiveness in a more holistic sense and and maybe begin to integrate ideas of kindness and vulnerability in the organization. I mean, that would be kind of radical, but it might set things into an interesting movement and momentum. Oh, absolutely. And I, I really loved what you just explained. And you know, we look a lot at the future of work and as digitalization is going to take over a lot of the repetitive tasks and the tedious tasks, the tasks that will remain for humans to do well, to do and to do well, are going to be a negotiation, navigating uh, information overflow, um, selecting, prioritizing and, and really be connecting human to human Mm -hmm. and I find that fascinating to look uh, even 10 years ago some of these were referred you know as the soft skills so you would have the very hard skills for which you learned in university and school and then you had to volunteer or be active in your community to uh, develop some of these soft skills soft skills And now what I really see is that it's a lot of these, what we would label soft skills that are coming to the fore. And that's what's really distinguishing people uh, who um, are able to formulate and really drive the change that we so desperately need in, in our world today. So maybe coming, because time is going very fast, um, Maybe coming to our last question, Holly, and this is the the same question we always ask here at the Mm -hmm. Work Life Podcast. So if I could um, ask you to give one advice to a CEO to make a positive change for his or her employees, then what would that one advice be? Yeah, so this question provides such a wonderful opportunity. I, I, my thoughts are probably less advice oriented and more of a wish that I'd like for us all to share. So I think the short answer is, you know, the theme of this whole conversation, start with humans. Human-centered business is just good business. Um, you know, Herman Miller's founder said close, close to 100 years ago now, we are all extraordinary. I absolutely love that. Um, it's so cool to think about what would be possible for organizations. Um Beyond that, for our communities, if we were to all embrace the idea that we're all extraordinary and honor all of the bits and pieces that make us so. So, and you know, I'm a big fan of being pragmatic. So a practical starting place for a CEO that wants to make a positive impact, you know, might be, you know, what we talked about before. Use use the fundamental human needs as a lens for strategy, a lens for policy development and leadership practices. In other words, a human-centered approach to designing the business and the, the experience that people have within your organization. So that could just be taking the time to be deliberate about evaluating each of the fundamental human needs and ensuring you have solutions in place for each of those. 
solutions based in based in place in in your tools technology leadership and organizational practices and and honestly um, I'm passionate enough about this to be thrilled to have you know more conversations with anyone interested I'd encourage anyone to reach out to me for more dialogue I'm so glad to share and to, and to learn from other people Fantastic. So would you like to remind listeners where they can find you? Absolutely. So uh, you can find out more about my organization just at hermanmiller.com. Um, and if you would like to reach me directly, it's holly, H-O-L-L-Y underscore Honig, H-O-N-I-G at hermanmiller.com. Great. Well, thank you so much, Holly. I so appreciate that you took the time to to be with us today and, and to exchange on this incredibly important um, topics. Oh, thank you for the chance to share my views and what I'm up to with you and your listeners. And and thank you, Agnes. Um, thanks to you and Zoltan for the great work that you do in the spirit as well. Thank you.